Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning again. So this is the second week in our sermon series titled One Thing, and uh, maybe if you weren't here last week, I want to give you just a little bit of recap to bring you up to speed. What we're talking about during this sermon series is this belief that God is on the move in your life, that God has a plan for your life, that he has planted seeds in your life, that he's speaking, that he's at work in your life. But interesting enough, sometimes how that work begins in our life is that Jesus asks us the question, what do you want? And that's kind of a hard question to answer. We, we think God should just tell us what to do. God, what's your will for my life? What do you want for my life? And those are great questions to ask, but sometimes, and many times in the Gospels, Jesus asks us, what do you want? And it speaks to our desire. And friends, the truth was that God is not offended by our big dreams, but wants us to be like a kid. A kid at Christmas will tell you what he or she wants. And God wants us to be like that kid that will just say, God, this is what I want. This is what I'm asking for. And that this is my one thing for the year or my one thing in life. But I have a confession, and I don't know if you share this with me. Sometimes when I know what I want, this is what my motivation looks like. Oh. <laughs> Good morning, what did you want? That's a cat on a treadmill. The owners had a one thing. They want the cat to walk on the treadmill. The cat had zero motivation to do that. Interesting enough, there was a... Um, a uh, conference recently, and a South Korean company tried to fix this problem. If you heard this, they created a new cat treadmill that you can actually now speak to the cat through your app on the phone. You don't even have to get up and get off and exercise yourself, but you can put your cat on this treadmill and speak to you. The only problem with it is it costs $1,800 for this new cat treadmill. But what happens is we know what we want, but suddenly we lack the motivation to actually put uh, and to practice our life and to actually go after those God-given desires. And too often we end up doing nothing. But if we're going to go after our one thing for God, then we're going to have to be intentional. So this sermon today is to help us who are identifying God, this is what I want, what I want to go after, to take those next steps actually to go after it. Our anchor verse for today will be Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Paul here is writing to the church at Philippi, and he says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. To win the prize for which Christ, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul here is writing and he says he has his one thing. He's going to forget what is behind. And many times it is our past that can keep us from moving forward after the one thing that our heart desires. 
And there are several different things, I think, in our past that we need to forget. The first thing I think we need to forget is we need to forget past failures and mistakes. Many times it is our past failures and mistakes that can keep us from moving forward after what God has for us. You may have remembered this, but Steve Harvey was the host of the Miss Universe pageant in 2015. And it was the culmination of the pageant. It was broadcast live around the world in many different countries. And Steve Harvey goes to announce the winner and announces that Miss Columbia won Miss Universe pageant. The confetti flies. They put the crown on Miss Columbia. And Steve Harvey has an oops moment and says, uh, actually, it wasn't her. It was Miss Philippines. And so broadcast around the world, Steve Harvey suddenly finds himself uh, with one of those foot in his mouth and he has failed in front of the entire world. It makes our failures look a little bit smaller. Steve Harvey handled it with, pretty, uh, with grace despite being the subject of memes and jokes and, and, and um, being called the greatest mistake in award show history. But Steve seemingly landed on his feet and handled it, handled it well. Interesting enough, a few moments before that event happened, Steve told a crowd these words. He said, the wisdom I have comes from the mistakes I have made. Failure is a wonderful teacher. I have failed more times than any one single person in this room. I have written more bad jokes. I've flunked out of college. I've been married two times before. I've been homeless and lived in my car for three years. I have lost everything that I owned twice. I have had a life with major league setbacks, but I've learned through all those setbacks. Look, God is in the forgiving business. If you won't stay down, he won't hold you down. So I make a mistake, I get up, and I keep going. Remarkable words there from Steve Harvey. Interesting enough, three years later, was asked to host it again. What Steve was, had learned was this. Hey, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. But if that is in your past and you've, if, if, and you've, got, uh, you've repented, if, if you failed before God, but some of us just make mistakes on our own. It's a part of being a human. Don't let that past mistake keep you from going after what God has for you in your future. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Friends, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't forgive you of your sins so that you would feel so guilty and ashamed of your past that you can't move forward to what God has for you in your future. But so often we beat ourselves up and we put our past as a roadblock that keeps us from pursuing what God has for us in the future. It may be time to forget the past. I also just want to mention these two quickly. Sometimes it's our past successes that we need to forget. If our present or our future doesn't feel as good as our past, my motivation quickly looks like the cat on the treadmill. It's like, what's the point? I may have to put all this effort and energy to go after what I think God has for me, but I don't think it's going to be good as what I had in the past. So what's the point? But many times if we're going to go after that one thing, we're going to have to forget Our past successes. It may be forgetting the past ways of doing things. The children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. 
They had physically left Egypt, but Egypt never left them. And that way of doing things as a slave never left them. And they couldn't embrace the new mentality of being the free people of God. And it was their children who occupied the promised land because they couldn't forget the past way of doing things. And so many times I get in a rut that the way I've done it in the past is the way I'm going to have to do it in the future. But sometimes those ways I have done it in the past will not work if I'm going to reach that God-given one thing has given to us. When I was a junior in high school, the weather was much like it is today. And I was at a friend's house. And I decided it was the evening I was going to run home. uh, Because I ran back then in high school. Not now, but um, ran home. And I'm running home and it's a gorgeous night. It's cold. There's snow on the ground. The full moon's out. There was a shooting star. It was an amazing, beautiful night. And I get to this hill that goes up to my street. And as I'm running up the hill, this little dog comes behind me and starts barking. And it's one of those, not a cute bark or a loud bark. It was one of those annoying and kept following up. This dog was so small, it couldn't hurt me. There's nothing it could do. I'm on my way. I'm running home. I know where I'm going. And as I reached the top of the hill, I finally had had enough. And I wanted to show this dog who was boss and who was stronger and who was bigger and better. And so as I jump onto the sidewalk, I think I'm going to chase this dog. And as I turned, you remember there was snow on the ground and I hit ice and I slid and I landed right on my back. The dog magically disappeared. The dog actually was so surprised, it stopped barking and and, and ran away. And as I lay there on my back, I remember thinking, I could get mad, but I'm not. But you know what, God, I felt spoke to me in that moment. So many times, those negative voices in our past, they can't hurt us. They can't harm us. We know where we're going. We're going after our one thing. But those negative voices from our past just come behind us. And they keep barking at us. And keep saying over and over who we are not. You're not good enough. You'll never be smart enough. You won't be pretty enough. You won't be this. You won't be that. And those voices get stuck in our head. And if we're not careful, we know where we're going toward our one thing. But what we end up doing is trying to turn and chase off those voices in our head from our past. And it, friends, nothing can derail us faster than trying to silence the voices from our past. It may be that today you need to stop listening to those negative voices. That it's time to forget the past. Three years ago, I was speaking at Mix. Mix is our awesome uh, Wednesday night middle school and high school program. Um, and I was speaking there and I was talking about the way we treat people. I'm going through and I'm preparing, and as I'm preparing, a scene comes back to me from middle school. I had invited a couple guys to go to a basketball game. They had invited one other person that I really didn't know. And I remember telling these, these uh, two guys that I asked were on the basketball team. They were popular kids. I, they were cool kids. I wanted to be accepted by them. And I remember telling those two guys about this other guy who came along. I said, guys, I'd really love to have you guys spend the night, but I really don't want this kid to stay the night at my house. I don't know, that not, was not a common refrain for me, but I said it in that moment. As I'm preparing for this, what, how many years later, 20-some uh, years later, I felt like the Lord wanted me to contact that guy and tell him I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, come on. I didn't know this guy. I didn't really interact with him. You want me to do what? That's probably not God's voice. You know, so I put it off. I did look up the guy. Interesting enough, the guy came to Southern Seminary 
And as a Baptist pastor in that town of Perigold, Arkansas, I'm like, oh, great, even better. I have to apologize to a fellow pastor for this. So I look it up. He did a lot of work on the Enneagram, personality test I love, and spirituality. And I've used his resources. And it was great. Do you know what I didn't do? I didn't apologize. Fast forward three years later. It's Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, I'm sitting in my office at work. And I'm having a quiet moment. And you know what I felt the Lord say? You never apologized to that guy. I thought, oh, come on. I thought, isn't there a statue of limitations, Lord, about apologies for this? But sadly, with the Lord, there isn't. So I humble myself. And at my office, I typed an email. Jared, this email may feel out of the blue. And let's be honest, it is. I said, I lived in Perigold, and when my dad was a pastor, we both went to Oak Grove, and I was speaking to our middle school students. I told them the story. I said, this email is apologized for that. It may mean nothing to you, but it's important to me, and I guess that stuck with me all those years. As a result of this message, I looked you up and discovered you are a pastor in Perigold, studied at Southern, where I, while I now live in Louisville, and I'm a pastor myself. By the way, your resource on the Enneagram and spiritual life is excellent. I've used it a lot. One other caveat, dot, dot, dot. That message I gave was a couple years ago. Once I looked you up, I put off sending this message as it felt, frankly, even more awkward to send. I trust, though, that if God brought that to the surface, there's a reason for that, even if only to apologize. Also, you may not have a good illustration to use sometime for a sermon. (laughs) And then I hit sin and crawled in the fetal position in my office because I wanted to crawl in a hole and die, and I waited. I got this response two days later. Josh, I still hate you. I'm joking. That, he didn't say it. He didn't say it. He said this, Josh, it's so good to hear from you and to know you're serving as a pastor in Louisville. I'm familiar with Westport Road Baptist Church. He didn't say if that's good or bad uh, from his time in Louisville. He goes on and he says, I really believe the Holy Spirit prompted you to send this email. You mentioned the Enneagram spiritual formations, and he talks about how for the past three years he's been on a journey himself, how two other experiences, gratefully not mine, uh, stuck in his uh, uh, mind. That, that, um, let me just read you what he said. He said, in light of these two events that had happened in his past, the narrative script I began to live out was A, that I'm loved not for who I am, but for what I do. And if I can't compete, if I can't win, if I can't accomplish my goals, then I will be rejected. And B, that my image matters. Who I am on the outside matters more than who I am on the inside. He talks about, he had to think about it for a while, but he did remember that experience and shared um, a similar thing of feeling rejected, but forgiving me for that. He said, thanks very much for reaching out. Your apology is most definitely therapeutic, life-giving, and God-honoring. I hope to hear back from you soon. And we've had a conversation since that. The thing I love about Jared's response here is he had negative voices from his past that were saying, you're only as good as you look on the outside. If you can't compete, then you can't win. And he is in the process of working through that to forget those voices. It takes work to forget the past voices. One of my children this week on the playground, someone said something very mean to them. And I said, what's the kid's number? You know, I was ready to, to talk to this, um, to this kid's parents. We were talking through it, and I decided to practice my sermon, right, on him. This is a great moment. So I'm practicing my sermon uh, on my kid. And my, my, uh, my child said this. He said, I understand, Dad, but it's still really hard to forget that voice. And it's true, right? 
it is really hard to forget those past voices. It takes a lot of work. But the challenge is if we don't forget those past voices like that dog can get us off track from going to our one thing. Friends, I am convinced your life is too valuable. Your calling is too great. And your God is too good to let your past rob you from moving forward into his future. But it's not just forgetting our past. I think there's a second element to this. If you want to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, I want to walk through a story here where Jesus here uh, meets with a young uh, man who comes to ask him a question. This is found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 17. So Mark chapter 10 verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. Uh, If you had one question to ask Jesus, that's a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So this person's thinking through uh, the big questions of life. He seems seemingly he's well put together, articulate enough to even think through this. And in verse 18, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. It's at this moment the young man's feeling pretty good. He asked the question, he could answer Jesus' response, seemingly all is going well. But then, in verse 21, Jesus says this, Jesus looked at him And loved him. I love that about Jesus. Even when Jesus is speaking to us. Maybe it's even a disciplined moment. But Jesus looks at him. And he looks at us. And he loved him. And he said this one thing you lack. Go. Sell everything you have. And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What a moment in this man's life. Jesus speaks to the man and he says, one thing you lack. This is the thing that the man has and it's so tightly in his possession that he cannot let it go. The man could not see that if Jesus is asking him to let go of this, then the future glory would be greater than the thing he is so desperately holding on to. But the man in verse 22 says, At this the man's face fell, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. That which he held in his hand fell so much stronger than the glory that Jesus was asking him to let go of it. And he went away sad because he couldn't let go. We need to forget the past, but also as a part of that, we need to let go of what holds you back. And Jesus asks you to let go of something. The glory is going to be greater than what he's asking you to let go of. But so many times, what we hold in our hands feels so much stronger than the promise of future glory, the promise of future hope. Do you ever sit around and wonder what people were doing in 1912? Anybody this week? Well, I think I figured it out. They were waiting for the advent of YouTube. Uh, They didn't have YouTube in 1912 because they had some great videos that wanted to share. 
I want to share this video from 1912. Uh, this was in Africa, and this would be under the title of How to Catch a Monkey. Can we see it? That's a treat. So the monkey goes up, puts his hand in the gourd, he grabs the treat, and he holds on. And he holds on. And he holds on. And he continues holding on. And in fact, what ends up happening is that the people who put the treat in, they walk up and they capture the monkey. Because the monkey would rather hold on to the promise of the treat inside the gourd. He would rather be captured and hold on to the promise of the treat inside the gourd than to let it go and go free. Friends, don't be like a monkey. Don't be like a monkey. Don't hold on to the promise of a momentary treat and give up your future glory that Christ asked you to let go of. There are some things that if you are going to reach your one thing in this year, you're going to have to let go of some things. And it's never easy to let go of things. It's really hard and it's difficult because in our mind, we have this. We don't know if we will have that. It's safer to hold on to what we have. But Jesus asked us to forget. And he also asked us to let go. The second part of the verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Uh, well, I'll read that verse again. It says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If we are going to reach our one thing in Christ, we are going to have to press on to the goal. Press on to the goal. To press on is to go on the offensive. It's not passive. It's, it's, to, it's not the cat on the treadmill. It's becoming stubborn to go after what we believe God has called us in Christ to go after. And so many times what happens is, yeah, we know what we want, but we get stuck at that. And year after year, we're asking for the same things, but we don't know how to get there. And it's the truth is, if we're going to reach our one thing, we're going to have to go after what God has given to us. Denise Mugugi was eight years old. He was the son of a pastor in the eastern Congo. And he went with his dad to visit a village on the side of the, of the lake there. And there they visited a terminally ill boy. And they prayed for that boy that was there at the side of the lake. And that was all they could do. And in that moment, little eight-year-old Denise, or Dennis, he, had, he knew what his one theme was. He was going to become a doctor. In fact, he told his dad, who was the pastor, Dad, you can pray, but I will give medicine. And so he began to study, and he became a gynecologist. And he opened a hospital in Pansy, Congo. There was no hospital in that entire region of the Congo that served women who were pregnant. And they opened the doors uh, to this hospital. And they waited for the first pregnant woman to walk in. But the first lady who walked in wasn't pregnant. She had been a a victim of sexual violence due to the war that was going there in the Congo. And their hospital in the Pansy Congo became a stream of refugees as the civil war broke out in 1999 in the Congo. And they had a stream of women who had been sexually assaulted as a weapon of war. 
And Denise realized that he needed a plan for how to meet the needs of these women more than just physically. And so he wrote a plan that said we were going to treat women, including their physical, their spiritual. We're going to give them legal aid and support. They started a foundation to end rape as a weapon of war. In 2012, as this hospital had grown and continued to work and continue as a civil war went on, continued to serve people. 2012, our men broke into his house. They took his family captive and his good friend and bodyguard was shot and killed. Denise took his family and fled to, to Belgium. They were overwhelmed. They didn't know what to do. It was too dangerous seemingly now. But the women at the clinic who had nothing began to save up money for his return flight back to the Congo. And as Denise sat there, he knew his plan. He'd written his plan. They were helping women and he decided he had to stick to his plan. And so they returned to the Congo. And they continue to serve this day and have treated over 50,000 women who have been victims of sexual violence in the Congo. Did I mention he became a pastor too? And he wrote this, It is up to us through God's word to exercise all the macho demons possessing the world so that women who are victims of male barbarity can experience the reign of God. Wow. In October of 2018, Denise was co-awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his work in the Congo. Denise saw the need and he wrote the plan and he stuck to the plan. And if we're going to reach our one thing, I truly believe that we need to write and stick to the plan. A mentor, a friend of mine who I met with on Thursday, he challenged me. He said, what is your plan for this year? He says, you know, you need to write it and to stick with it. And that's what we've been trying to do for Jacqueline and I. The Lord speaks in the book of Habakkuk, and he says these words. He says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. And so many times we don't know how to write the plan. We know what we want, but we don't know the steps to get there. And so the challenge that my mentor friend said on, on, on Thursday that we're putting in play is you need to write down five steps for every one thing that you want to do. What are five steps that you're working at to go after, to press on, to reach that goal that you feel that is God-given? So many times we just know the desire, but we don't take any action steps to get there. But for Denise, who saw that in Easter Congo, he wrote the plan and he stuck with it. But sometimes we get a fear around doing this, right? Part of the reason why I don't necessarily always like writing a plan is because I'm afraid it won't happen. Well, I wasn't planning on this circumstance. I wasn't planning on this diagnosis. I wasn't planning on this happening. And so what we end up doing is just trying to stay away from it and just try to maybe magically let it happen. But at Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5 uh, it says this verse, take delight in the Lord. That's your one thing. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. It is an act of trust to write a plan and to stick with it when we're going through tough times and difficult 
times. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.12, the verse before our anchor verse today, wrote this, Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Friends, there will be circumstances that come up against you that seek to prevent you from reaching your one thing. It's going to happen. The circumstances of your life will not always be perfectly aligned so that it makes it easy to achieve what you feel God is calling you to achieve. And there is going to have to come a moment of which we have a commitment that says, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to press on. Or in essence, what Paul is saying, don't give up. Don't give up. No matter what comes your way, do not give up. I read a remarkable story this week about Gilbert Tuabonye. He was a senior in high school, October 21st, 1993, in his homeland of Burundi. He was an accomplished runner, and he was looking forward to graduating and coming to the U.S. to run in college. Things were off that morning as he walked to school. Gilbert was a Tutsi, part of the Tutsi tribe. As he went to school, some members of the Hutu tribe started chanting at him, you will die today, you will die today. He ignored it. He had an exam. He did not know what they were talking about. But when he was in his school, his story had been caught up as a part of a genocide. And the mob began to come and attack all the the several hundreds people that were inside the school. And it went on for hours. He would say, I'm a normal Christian, but he really didn't know God. And during this process, as people around him were dying, he started hearing a voice inside of him that he said, I knew only could be God. He said, I will protect you. You will live. And you will tell the story of what happened here. And as he sat there amongst the carnage and the chaos, he felt God speak to him and tell him the way to escape. And he jumped out of a window and as he made his way, and, and, and the details are quite, quite graphic, but as he makes his way through that, he started to run despite all the injuries that he was experiencing. And he ran it over two miles until he got to a Tutsi hospital. He hid in the maternity ward because he knew in that culture they wouldn't break into that maternity ward. And as he hid there, finally Tutsi, his members of his tribe's army, arrived and rescued them all. He told the Austin Chronicle... He said this, when I laid down in the hospital, I asked, why didn't I die? Why did all my friends die? Why was I saved? But I began reading the Bible and I questioned, how can God, good people do evil? Before the attack, I did not have deep faith or religious beliefs. I just realized that the voice was God's. I've never questioned God, even in the face of evil. God uses people to motivate others. And after that, Tuabonye said he felt motivated to share his story of what God had done for them and for the people that were lost that day. And rather than abandoning his faith, Tuabonye went on to say this, it was because of the power of God that I was able to get away. And he said, I choose to tell what God has done to save me, what happened to me. He ended up coming to college and winning national champions for Abilene Christian and runners. He wrote a book titled, The Voice in My Heart, A Runner's Memoir of Genocide, Faith, and Forgiveness. Gilbert now lives in Austin where he coaches uh, running. And he runs the Gazelle Foundation that provides clean drinking water in Burundi. And he serves as a commissioner for the Texas Holocaust and Genocide Commission. Gilbert knew his one thing, it was to run. 
But then God gave him even a greater theme was to tell the story of what had happened that day. And in spite of overwhelming obstacles, he continues to live and he continues to share because he did not give up. Friends, we all face things in our life. We all face moments when we're going after that God-given desire, when we'll want to just throw in the towel and say, enough's enough, I am done. But I want to say this again, your life is too valuable. Your calling is too great. And your God is too good to simply throw in the towel and give up. We never know what we will face. But we know that God who has called us onward in Jesus Christ, who has given us his spirit, will empower us to not give up. But when you have your one thing, many times you have to make your commitment that says, God, I am going after this and I'm not giving up no matter what comes my way. For Gilbert, for Denise and for others, they had made their commitment long before the circumstances and challenges that tried to rob them came up against them. And when you know your one thing, it may be time to say, God, I will go after this and I will not give up. So today, the questions that I hope you'll work through with God are this. What do you need to forget? What do you need to forget? What are those things from your past that have been holding you back, been weighing you down, That it's time to give to Jesus and forget. What do you need to let go of? What's that thing your grip is so tight on that you can't let go? What do you need to let go of? What's those little small steps you need to make today? That plan you need to write today to go after what God has for you. And finally today I would say it's time to make a decision. God, I am not going to give up no matter what comes my way. Do you join me in prayer? Well, gracious Father, you have called us in Christ to go after our one thing, that God-given desire. And Lord, today I pray for my friends who are here today. I pray that today, in the quiet of these moments, you would speak to us. Maybe there's past voices that we need to forget. God, maybe there's past things that we need to let go of past failures. Maybe it's time to forgive ourselves. Lord, maybe today you're speaking to us that we need to let go of something. I pray you make that clear and give us the courage to not give up. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Lord is here. He is your good God. Maybe today you don't know the Lord. You've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. We'd love to have the chance to pray with you. Maybe you're calling it. Feel like God's calling you to join this church. We'd love to welcome you today. God's promises towards you today are yes and amen. I want to invite Grant Hoffman forward. Uh, Grant is a junior at Portland Christian School up the road. And Grant uh, did his Eagle Scout project here with our church. He turned literally a small space, but made it able to be used for so many uh, boxes. What's the word? Bins, thank you. Yes, plastic bins uh, that are used for our foster closet that we give out to those in need and also blessed uh, Tap School and Scarlet Hope. So Grant, we just want to have a chance to say thank you for your work to do that. We appreciate that.
and to know that how many people have been helped as a result of that project. So Grant, uh, Eagle Scout ceremony today at 4 o'clock at... Um, St. Francis in the Fields. I almost said Shepherd of the Hills. That's a church in Tulsa, but... Um, <laughs> St. Francis of the Fields Episcopal Church at 4 o'clock today. Larry? Okay, guys, come on up, all of you. My pleasure to introduce you, Brian and Debbie Gould, and Sarah, and Matthew, and Hannah. They all come with promise of a letter from St. Matthew, uh, from, gosh, Highview Baptist Church. <laughs> okay, so Jesus Christ is in all of your lives, and he's in all of ours, and we're so happy. You've been visiting with us for about a year, right? And too long, well, no. But, but I, told him, I told them both that they started the year off right by coming to our church. You know, you, you're, you've, you've made a great decision. And of course, I, I'm prejudiced. I, you know, I think this is the greatest church there ever was. And so, but, but our folks, you'll be praying for them, will you not? Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask Debbie and Dale to come by too. And you all want to come by and speak to these, I'm sorry, Debbie, Susan and Dale. And uh, I don't know where I, I need to wake up this morning. I'm sorry. But anyway, come by. Our, our deacons are lined up over here. They're going to be coming by and speaking to these these folks and introduce yourself to them and and Grant and and so uh, just just uh, come by and speak to them. Tell them you're glad they're here at a part of our church. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for working in our lives. Thank you for working in our church. Lord, we praise your name and we lift you up. For the Father, help us to let go and to pursue that one thing. Forgive us now of our sins. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.